We've just sung those words, King of kings, Lord of lords, not just you are, but you will be. As we were celebrating communion, Dave was reminding us of who God is, who Jesus is. He is our friend. He is our brother, as we've been learning in Hebrews. But He is our Lord. And we need to remember that picture of Christ glorified. And the amazing thing, that Christ who's glorified has reached out to us and He's put down for us His very thoughts. His word to us. It's His living word. And so when we come to this time in our worship, where we come and open our ears to what God has to say, we've got to remember as we open this book or scroll onto the book, that this is God's word to us. So let's pray. Let's ask Him to plant His word deep in us. Let's pray. Indeed, Lord, you are King of kings, Lord of lords, almighty God, victorious, risen, seated at the right hand, Savior. And yet, you love us. You've given your word to us. And Lord, as we open your word now, open our hearts to you, we pray, and plant this word deep in us. Make us soft before you. Keep our minds focused on you, Lord Jesus, and what you will say to us this morning so that we can leave this place and go and be obedient Christians who love you. Thank you for this time where we can hear what you say to us. Speak your word now, we pray. Amen. So we are busy in the book of Hebrews, um, slowly making our way through. We're in chapter 3, verse 1 to 6 this morning. But before we read that passage, I want you to turn to two other passages. And they'll give us a little bit of context. Uh, because context is everything when it comes to God's Word. We need to see where things lie in the whole of God's Word. And so I'd ask you to turn to two passages. Firstly, in the book of Acts. We're going to be reading chapter 7 and verses 17 to 39. It's quite a long passage. But it is a summarized history of Moses' life. And we're going to be looking at Moses and Jesus today in Hebrews. And so we kind of need to give ourselves a little bit of background again. Who was Moses? Why was he such a faithful man of God? And this is the summary of Moses' life that Stephen gives us. And if you know anything about Stephen, this is the moment in Stephen's life where he gives testimony of God's grace and Israel's unfaithfulness where they crucified that same Savior, Jesus. And because of that, they stone him. So these are his last words before he gets killed. That's the context. So listen to these words that Stephen gives us about Moses' life. And it all... I hope makes sense as we come to Hebrews. So Acts chapter 7, verse 17 to 39. I'm going to be reading it from the NLT version because it flows beautifully. 
but I won't just stick to NLT today. I will be using the ESV as well. Acts chapter 7, verse 17. As the time drew near when God would fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. But then a new king came to the throne of Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. This king exploited our people and oppressed them, forcing parents to abandon their newborn babies so they would die. At that time, Moses was born, a beautiful child in God's eyes. His parents cared for him at home for three months. When they had to abandon him, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and action. Remember Moses' excuse before God, I can't speak before people. Rubbish. He was trained in public speaking. Verse 23. One day when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. So Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed his fellow Israelite would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. The next day he visited them again and saw two men of Israel fighting. He said to, he tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, you are brothers. Why are you fighting each other? But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you a ruler and judge over us, he asked. Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard that, he fled the country and lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. There his two sons were born. Forty years later, in the desert near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. As he went to take a closer look, the voice of the Lord called out to him, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses shook with terror and did not dare to look. Interesting when you come to the before God. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groans and have come down to rescue them. Now go, for I am sending you back to Egypt. So God sent back the same man his people had previously rejected when they demanded, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Through the angel who appeared to him in the burning bush, God sent Moses to be their ruler and savior. And by means of many wonders and miraculous signs, he led them out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, and through the wilderness for 40 years. Moses, told, Moses himself told the people of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet, capital P, a prophet like me from among your own people. Moses was with our ancestors, the assembly of God's people in the wilderness, when the angels spoke to him at Mount Sinai. And there Moses received life-giving words to pass on to us. But our ancestors refused to listen to Moses. They rejected him and wanted to return to Egypt. Well, was Moses a great man of God? Man, that summarizes it. We'll come back to that. Now, Matthew chapter 17, verse 1 to 8. Let's turn to that one. Matthew chapter 17, verse 1 to 8.
This is Moses in the New Testament. Interesting. He lived a few hundred years before this. But here he is in the New Testament. Chapter 17, verse 1 to 7. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was, that's Jesus, was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. And one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. That's so typical Peter. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise. And have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. I always love that picture of grace. God himself appeared to them. They were terrified. Right response. But God reached to them. Don't be afraid. Well, let's get to Hebrews now. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. And let's read through this passage. Now remember in the context of the rest of Hebrews... There are a group of Israelites, uh, Jewish believers, who have come to the faith in Jesus Christ. And they're now starting to doubt their faith because they've come under severe persecution. Times are really hard for them. And the Judaizers around them have said, come back to the faith. Come back to Judaism. You'll be able to have an economy again. We'll sell you food. We'll give you food. Your family will recognize you as living once again. And we will look after you. But if you don't, you are out. You are dead. And so they were under extreme persecution. And starting to ask, is my faith worth it? Let's see what he says now. Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Tell me, are you a mushy, in-the-middle Christian? Now, I'm not talking figure, because I can't point fingers. But novel writers speak about this phrase, mushy, middle And novel writers are often prone to it. They start off with an excellent start to to the book and an awesome tear-jerking ending. You can't help yourself crying. But in the middle, they kind of lose the plot a bit. And you kind of wonder what's happening. 
and they wonder what they're writing. And it's called the mushy middle, and they have to find a way out of it. Otherwise, what happens with the reader? The reader puts the book down, right? But sometimes as Christians, we can get to feel like this as well. We saw last week his baptisms before the Lord. Start off with great fire and fantastic. Because we all remember those days. Those days when you first came to the Lord. You were excited. The Lord had done a great work in your life. You couldn't believe the difference that it made in your life. But as life has gone on, yes, you've had times of encouragement. But many times where you've felt you're a bit stuck in the mud. Life was getting a bit of a drag. And as a believer, you were starting to wonder, is this all there is to the Christian life? I thought there was so much more. And if you allow those thoughts to carry on permeating your mind, you start to question your faith. And you find yourself growing more and more disappointed. And your walk slows down. Your effectiveness as a believer slows down. Your mouth doesn't speak to others anymore as you should be. And when someone asks you, are you a Christian? You say, well, I'm spiritual. I've heard that. You see, these Hebrew Christians were caught in the same mud of growing doubt. How long must we suffer like this? Should we return to the more easy and acceptable life among our Jewish kindred with Judaism? Should we return to a faith which is a lot to do with works but doesn't have Jesus Christ at its center? And so the writer to the Hebrews wants to encourage them. And so he starts with this little word, therefore. And you've heard this so many times here. When we come to God's study, when you see the word, therefore, you've got to look back to see what his argument was. And we've looked at that. He's been speaking to them and warning them about neglecting their salvation. He's been reminding them of who Jesus Christ is. He's the founder of their faith. And they need to keep their faith in him. He's reminded them that they've been brought from nothing into brotherhood, into the household of God. And so he says, therefore, who are you, believers? And he reminds them here again in verse 1, who are you? You are holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. You're holy brothers. Now, ladies, Let's get over the PC-ness PC of, if, if you say brothers, you've got to say sisters. We understand that. This term brothers is much more than that. This term brothers is a theological and a social term. In the era when this was written, a brother was the one who inherited in the family. So that's the sense. When you see the word brother in Scripture, it's not denigrating anyone. It's not putting women down. It is saying, yes, you're included, ladies. You're a brother in Christ. So see it in that way. We are holy brothers. The word brother here is an inclusive word. You are one of a larger family. But you are holy brothers. You've been set apart for God. 
We've all heard this word before, holy. Set apart to God for His service. We are brothers in Christ. And this didn't just happen when you were born again. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. We read this at our prayer meeting on Wednesday night. What an amazing verse. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. When did you become a brother in Christ? Listen to this. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. I'm just breaking into the middle of your sentence here. No, I can't. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. This is now talking about God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus when? When you became a believer? No, before the ages began. Wow. And which now has been made manifest through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, that's brotherhood. Part of God's big plan of salvation. And you and I are part of holy brethren, holy brothers. And that's not all. We are partakers of a heavenly calling, says verse 1. The word partakers here is the word partners. There's more than one party here. We are partners in a heavenly calling. God calls us. We walk towards God. We are partakers of this heavenly calling. You see, as partakers, we need two things. We need to hear from God, and we need to go to God. That's the partnership. We need to hear from God in heaven, who gives us His word, and when we believe His Word, it shows us how to walk to Him through the Son. We are partakers of God's salvation plan as holy brothers. We need to hear from God so that we know what He's like, what His purposes are for us and the world, and what He requires of us. We need to hear from Him. And then we need a way to God. Because to be cut off from God in death would be darkness and misery and torment forever. We are partakers of a holy calling. And it's a heavenly calling. Which means God sent His word to us from heaven because He sent His own Son as that word. It's a heavenly calling. Christ came to this earth as man and God. And it's a heavenly calling. A calling means it should be our main drive in our everyday lives. There's two parts to this word calling too. It calls us and it becomes our drive. That which the core of your life revives around. You see, this is all the encouragement we need to remember when we feel like we're stuck in mud. Who are you? I'm a holy brother and I'm a partaker of a heavenly calling. That should already give you hope. You see, Christians are people who've been gripped by this calling. I heard that so clearly in that baptism last week. People gripped by the calling of God. And I'm going to quote a famous living guy now, Kahu. He said, I used to live life on my terms, but I was out. Until I realized it's life on his terms. 
gripped. You see? God took hold of us with the truth and the love of Jesus Christ. And then he reconciled us to God. He made us right with God, where we were completely separated from God. He reconciled us to God. And then he didn't leave us there. He leads us home. You're on a journey, my friend. When you feel stuck in the mud, it's only for a while. You're on the journey. This home is not your home. You have a heavenly kingdom. Look in your pocket. See what passport you have. It's not the Kiwi one. As a believer, your passport bears the emblem of the Lamb of God. Your forehead has a heavenly name written there, says Revelation. You're on your way to heaven. This is just temporary. So remember that when you're going through those hard times, when you start questioning. God has spoken from heaven. He's made a way back to heaven. We've believed him and our hope and our confidence stand firm. And the reason our hope and our confidence stand firm is not because of ourselves. You see, this auditorium this morning is filled with sinners. Sorry to say, we got sexual adulterers here. Don't look around. It's in our minds. We've got stealing sinners here. We've got killing sinners here. I hope it's not physically, though, that you've murdered anyone. We've got parent disobeying sinners here. We've got doubting sinners here. So our salvation doesn't rest and our hope doesn't rest on who we are. Our salvation and our hope rest in someone else outside of us. And that's where this verse carries on. You see, we've got a heavenly calling. Our hope and our confidence don't depend on us, but they depend on Jesus Christ. And that's why that verse carries on and it says, Therefore, holy brothers, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. We've looked at this word consider. What does the word consider mean? It doesn't mean just think quickly. It means when, you, when you're opening your word, God's word to you and you're reading it, absorb who Jesus is. In your personal devotion time, in your daily thinking time when you're driving, consider who Jesus is. When you come together and worship here, don't be distracted by sounds and what the people next to you are singing falsely. Consider Jesus and who He is. Who is he? He carries on verse 2. Uh, verse 1 rather. Consider Jesus the apostle and the high priest of our confession. We've already looked at some of these phrases. He is the apostle and high priest of our confession. Have you ever heard that? Jesus Christ is the apostle. Capital A. What does the apostle mean? Simple. He's the saint one. He's the saint one. The apostles in the New Testament. Who were they? Sent ones. That's all the word apostle means. Sent by who? By God himself. Who was Jesus Christ? The apostle, the sent one, sent by God himself to become man. He was sent as the ambassador from God. You see, we needed to hear from God. God sent his son. And then he became 
the high priest for us, the one who comes between us and God, the one who sacrifices for our sin, who gave himself as a sacrifice for sin. We need a way back to God. We need to hear from God. We need to go back to God. Jesus Christ. Consider him. Put aside other distractions. Even in just this little while, while I've been sitting listening to this, I wonder if you've been distracted by the phone in your pocket, by other thoughts, by what you've got to do this week. My friend, consider Jesus Christ. Push aside those other distractions. You see, the world and our culture and the devil don't want you to consider Jesus Christ. They don't even want you to think about him. And if there are thoughts about Jesus, may they only be light ones. The world wants you not to consider about anything. It wants you just to feel and do. If it feels right, do it. Major corporations have that logo. Don't think and consider too much. Just do it. If your body's hungry, feed it. Sexual urges, satisfy them. Don't think about it. Lust of the eye, buy it. Don't give wider considerations. You don't ask the question, how does God want me to think about things? The world says, just do these things. Don't think too much. You see, Satan wants you to fill your mind and your soul with feelings and thoughts. Anything but Jesus. Why? Because it slows you down as a believer. Anyone had a computer and you've opened too many things? You've got your computer on, and then you open this, and open that, and open this, and open that. And then after a while, your whole computer seems to slow down. You can't understand why. Well, you go and look at all the open pages. The memory in the computer is trying to work with all things at the same time. And so if you want it to speed up, just close those pages. And it suddenly goes nice and fast. Your RAM isn't overloaded. Well, we're a bit like that as Christians. We've got too many of the wrong pages open in our lives, and then we wonder why we feel all slogged down in life. The Lord says, close those other pages. Look at me. Consider Jesus Christ. You see, the more your mind and your heart are cluttered, the less you are sensitive to the needs of your own soul. And that's what Satan wants. He wants to distract you from the real needs of your soul. These, these guys who testified, and Mayumi, distracted by other things, our own perceived needs, when they weren't our real needs. We needed a Savior. And our souls seem to be satisfied by the short-term sweetness of societal junk food, while our souls are wasting away without Jesus Christ. And so the writer to the Hebrews says, Consider Christ. Fill your mind with thoughts of Him. Lord, be my vision, supreme in my heart. But every rival, that's vision and thought, give way and depart. You my best thought, in day or in night, waking or sleeping, your presence, my light. That's what he's saying. Why? Now, here's the reason. And this is why we need to wake up. There's danger here. Why do we need to consider Jesus and think on Him? Otherwise, he says in chapter 3, verse 8, just glance ahead. You're in danger of a hardening heart. Chapter 2, verse 1, we've already done this. You're in danger of drifting away from the truth. Chapter 3, verse 12, you're in danger of falling away from the living God. Consider Jesus. 
Close everything else. Make him number one again. And you will be amazed at how you then walk through life. Why is this important? Verse 2. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Now we spent most of our time in verse 1 because it's the most important in this section. Now we come to the, the balance of the verses. Looking at this comparison between Moses and Jesus. You see, in, the, in Judaism, Moses is really, really important. He was one of the central figures with Elijah. And if they were going back to, to Judaism, they were being tempted to have a Messiah-less Judaism. One that didn't recognize the Messiah for who he was. And so he says to them, Wake up. Jesus was the faithful one. Yes, Moses was faithful. Yes, he was a good servant to God. But Jesus was the faithful one compared to Moses. As Moses was faithful in his house, and that's in a Jewish context, Moses would be the standout figure of faithfulness. And having read that passage this morning, we'd agree. He was a great man of God, right? We're not dissing Moses. We're not talking down on Moses. We're not urged to be anti-Moses in this passage. We're putting Moses in his context of a servant of God in the house of Israel. And he was faithful. Even though we read passages where he killed a man. And we haven't read the passages where he struck the rock. And he couldn't go into the land of Canaan. So he was a fallible man. This was the same Moses that, that is deemed by Scripture as the faithful one. And he was faithful because God forgave him those things. But Jesus is so much greater Context is everything you see. Verses 3 to 6. And here we have the passage where God honored Jesus much more than Moses. And that's the whole point of Hebrews. He's trying to encourage them to say, yes, you must focus on what's important, but Jesus is of utter importance. Yes, Moses is important to the Jewish faith and to faith, but Jesus is so much more important. Honor Jesus. And then he uses this example of the builder of the house has more honor than the house. Now, if you've received uh, an award for the best building, they have them, I think they're called um, Supreme Building Awards, right? Yes, the people say this house is a beautiful house, but it's not about the house, is it? Because which house built itself? Here's the eastern, we don't get this humor, I can clearly see. Um, maybe it's the bearer. In Scripture, you see that little phrase, every house is built by someone. That's Eastern humor. And the humor is in this. You wouldn't walk past a house and say, that house built itself. What a great house. Stupid, duh. Everyone knows that house can't, it's a beautiful, it can't build itself, right? There's a builder. And so you honor the builder. That's the point. I've got to wonder, and I'm in brackets now. When people look around at creation and you see the magnificence of the blood moon, the magnificence of nature, the size and awesomeness of nature, and then people say, it all just came about. It's like walking past a house and saying, this house built itself. It can't. There's design here. There's intention. There's craftsmanship. God made these things. Same humor. 
Now, back to Hebrews. So he says, when you compare Moses, was he faithful in the house of God? Yes, he was. What about Jesus? He says, Jesus, as God, was the builder of the house. He wasn't just faithful to the house. He was the builder of the house, so honor him. And then he carries on with his comparison. And Moses, he was a servant. He was faithful in God's house, right? Yes, we'll all say as good Jews. But Jesus was the son in that own house. He wasn't just the owner of the house. He was the son in the house. The one who would inherit. The one with greatest honor. And he built that very house. It was his house. And so who is greater? It's Jesus Christ. And that's why I read that passage that we looked at in Matthew. Where Jesus is honored with Moses and Elijah there. He is the one that God says, listen to my son. He was honored. All right, let's move on. Last verse, verse 6. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Now, this is where the encouragement comes of the whole passage. Here's the invitation to you. If you're not a believer here today, and, and I'm not presuming anyone here. If you're not a believer today, God says to you, hold fast to Jesus. There's no other way you will get through this life. Here's the invitation to you. Hold fast to Jesus. It's only Him that you can have confidence and hope in. You can't have confidence and hope in yourself. Because when you appear before Almighty God, guess what's going to happen? In those passages we read today, when you appear in front of Almighty God, you're not going to stand there waiting for God to say something. And you're not going to interject God. You're going to be flat on your face before Him. Where's your confidence then? Where's your hope then? It can only be in Jesus Christ. And so there's the invitation. Come to Jesus Christ. God sent him as the ambassador, as the apostle to this earth so that you would know what God wants you to know, to know him. Come through Jesus Christ and give your life to him. But there's hope for us too as believers here. We are his house. We are his household. Wait for it. If. Now, I'm not talking about loss of salvation here. But I am talking about loss of hope. When you feel that life is dragging you down. You feel like you're walking in thick mud. If you've ever been stuck on the mud here in the Whanganui River, you'll know what I'm talking about. You can hardly move. And sometimes we get to feel like that in life. Where is your hope? Is it in Jesus Christ? You will only have hope if you keep your confidence in Him. There's another famous living guy sitting amongst us, John Malcolm. He always uses this term on the end of his emails. In His grip. So that's what it is. You want to rise out of the mud? Then remember, you are of the household of God if your confidence is in His grip in Christ. And yes, I know all about Christ working in me and doing all the work in me, says Philippians 2 verse 12 to 13. 
but it's us working with Christ. He holds me. My faith is in Jesus Christ. He is the house. I am part of Him. He has made me into His household. Yes, I get that. But my confidence must be in Him. You see, it's asking for faith. And when we go through those hard times, where is your confidence, my friend? Look, you'll see, it's not on Christ anymore. It's somehow gone on to something else. Focus your attention back on Jesus Christ. Get back onto Him as the center of everything you are doing right in that mud moment. And He will rise you up from that. He will drag you out of that. And He will make you fly with strength as the strength of eagle's wings. You will fly. He will raise you up. And, says our verse, we need to hold fast our boast of hope, our rejoicing in Him to the end. That's what that phrase means. Look at 3 verse 6. We are His house. If indeed we hold fast, firstly, our confidence, and secondly, our boasting in our hope. Who do you boast in? In Jesus? Or are you just spiritual when people ask you? Are you a believer? Now I'm spiritual. Thank you for that. We've got some real ones here. So what do we do with that? I want to put three points before you real shortly, bullet points. Here they are. You and I need a daily resolve. We can be confident in our faith because of who Jesus is. He is the builder of the house. He will stay faithful to his house. You see, society wants to shake your faith. And your confidence. You go to uni. Your lecturers won't want to shake your faith in the Christian God. The atheists around us now, the new atheists putting out publication after publication. The new skeptics putting out publication after publication. They want to shake your faith in Jesus Christ. But they, there's no new arguments they're using. They're just using a rehash of old arguments in new clothing. And they've all been well answered over the centuries. Go and look for those answers. You can answer those questions. They're not new. Don't be shaken in your faith. Christianity will not fail because Christ will not fail. There are many more, there are many more Christians now than there were two days ago. There are many more Christians now than there were 700 years ago because His is a growing kingdom. We just saw that last week. Three more into the kingdom. And that's happening all over the world. Don't let the world tell you anything else. We are on the winning team. Christ has won the victory. His kingdom will stand. Don't listen to Satan and his lies. And when someone asks you, are you a believer? Come on! You're on the winning team. Yes, I'm a Christian. Don't backpedal. And so, no mushy middle Christianity. Second point. Don't have this defeated mindset. Fly your flag clearly for Jesus Christ. You know, I learned that thing very clearly at school. On the athletics team, they need to know you're a Christian right from the beginning. If you fly your flag right at the beginning, it gets easier later. 
But if you try and muddle through and disguise the fact that you're a Christian, and then suddenly you raise this little puny flag, I'm a Christian, no one believes you. Raise your flag right at the beginning, and everyone knows where you stand. Be bold in Christ. Don't apologize for living a Christian lifestyle before the world. We mustn't apologize for that, even in our current society, where they don't want to hear about Christians anymore. We mustn't apologize for being Christians. We live the Christian lifestyle boldly. We criticize everything else boldly because we know Jesus Christ and we know what the truth is. And then lastly, perhaps you are here this morning and you are feeling a bit mudlogged. And life's literally a bit of a drag. Well, maybe it's time for a reset this morning. Maybe you need to come before this God and bring your tired routine before Him. Get your battery recharged. You know the best, best way to recharge a battery is to, and Dave will, I'm sure, correct me if I'm wrong now, but the best way to reset the battery is to let it drain completely until it's dead, dead. Recharge it. And it seems to reset itself. Come to the Lord. Be filled again through the Spirit. Now, I'm not preaching a false gospel here. What does that mean? When does God give us His Spirit? He gives us His Spirit when we are born again. Yes, fully. But when, when it comes to tasks before us, He gives us His Spirit. Maybe you need to come and be refreshed again. Have your eyes focused again on Jesus Christ and the things of Christ. Because when you do, your fear, your doubt, your defeat will flee away. Come and have your soul refreshed in Christ. Turn off those other distractions in your life. Spend some time with Him in His Word. Consider Christ. He will raise you up. He will allow you to live a victorious Christian life. No excuses before anyone. Let's pray. Lord God, we've got to admit that at times in life we submit to the things happening around us, the feelings which seem to overwhelm us. We listen to the cries of the world. We, we see the sights of the world and we're drawn to them and very soon our minds are filled not with the things of Christ but with the things of this world. And then our feet start to drag. And we can't live the Christian life the way we should. Lord, for forgive us. Bring us back to the foot of the cross, where all these things can be laid at your feet. And we know that you've paid for these sins of ours, not just for this lifetime, but right through this lifetime, for sins we haven't even committed yet, that we'll commit tomorrow and the day after. Lord, bring our focus back on you, Lord Jesus, so that we will live re-energized lives, lives that have been forgiven, made clean, as holy brothers called from heaven with a holy calling to go and be holy in this world. And Lord, you've done that so that we would live lives before the world which show our point of difference. Help us to allow the world to see Christ in us.
the one who is victorious, so that the hope that is in us will shine forth brightly and the world will see that we are different and we belong to you. Help us in our weakness, we pray. When we are weak, you are strong. Help us to hold on to you and know that we are gripped by you. Forever as your house, you are the faithful one. We praise you, Lord. Amen.